0: I'd just like to leave a comment because these came to me when I came in and sat down. so I think it's for us to hear here this isn't casual. The Bible says we are written epistles known and read of all men. okay Now we know that an epistle is a letter. we refer to them as letters. Paul wrote letters to The church, Ephesians, Corinthians, Galatians. But now we call them books of the Bible, and we see them divided into chapters, okay? We say that he is the author, he is the finisher of our faith. And so we see these terminologies being used several times in Scripture Concerning writings that have chapters, that have pages. And when you have read in the letters, the epistles, and came to the end of a page and turned it, sometimes it's interesting where things go. On the next page, as the page is turned. Now, so, if we are written epistles known and read of all men, and he is the author and the finisher of our faith, the pen is still in his hand, and he is writing the pages of our life. Now, we were about 14 years in Yakima and contented to be there and stay there where we were involved But at one point, there was a change that came, and we would leave Yakima and go to Sunnyside for three years, and then it would be put upon us to go to Puyallup. Now, when we arrived at Puyallup, I remember this coming to me, and I spoke this out, and I said, this is the final chapter. I was pretty sure of it. This is the final chapter, and then it wasn't long after that we spent time traveling back and forth to Florida, thought we would end up in Florida, and at some point I decided to say, okay, I'm not going to say that anymore, but you know, as you progress through your Life and through the years of your life, and no matter how many pages have turned up to this point, you never know when the author is going to begin a new chapter. It's not relative to age. We feel like we are entering into, beyond the age of 60 now, into another chapter. And so, we're not the writers. We're not the ones that say this is it. We're just going to, you know, ride on into the sunset because change, continual change in in God's hand is certain. Now, I didn't have any of these thoughts before I walked in here and sat down. And somebody could receive and hear and accept the idea. There are things ahead. God's turning pages. And we want him to remain the author. Yes. We want him to continue Amen. writing. Yes. We don't want to, you know, grab his hand and say, whoa, 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 enough is enough. No, we've, we've got to trust him. With what's ahead, some of you folks have entered into another chapter with your involvements in Mattawa. That came to me sitting here. And so there are things ahead to accept things will not always be as they are. Things will not always be as as they are. And in the plan of God, in the will of God, he will turn the page. He will begin a new chapter. Aren't you thankful for the God that we live for, that we worship, that we serve? We can trust him. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows the beginning from the end. And for some, there won't be an end here. Amen. Just a few comments. Honey? Come on. I saw you turning in your Bible there.
1: I'm so thankful to be here and to be with the hearts. We love them so much and their family and you all. And God is so good to us. He is so good to us. I am... it's easy to, um, to. my husband and I were talking about denying ourselves this morning, and we were talking about um, some things that are difficult for us and that we're going to have to just tighten up our belt and attend a couple things, um, go a couple places we really don't want to go. Um, and submit to the process. And he's ready to go everywhere all the time. But well, that's a whole different story. But um, I said, honey, you know, when we're in this part of the country, da-da-da-da-da, da He's like, oh, yeah, I'm good. Well, uh, a year ago, he wasn't good with that. And um, he said, oh, you know, all of this denying of my flesh, I think it's really helping me. We know that. We've been doing that for since we were saved. For me, maybe it's forty-five years since I've had the Holy Ghost. Wasn't raised in this. Came out as a, you know, one time drinker, drug user and all that jazz. God has kept me and kept me clean and sober. But we know denying yourself this month, deny yourself, deny yourself the things that really take up a lot of headspace. For some of you, it may not be that Instagram or that Facebook or, you know, Netflix or uh, shopping on your, your, your phone or the things that take up headspace. In this last year, we've had to get rid of things that are just taking up too much headspace. We thought, you know, doing an Airbnb would be just a good financial decision. It took up too much headspace every day. And you have to find those things that are real distraction. And um, I am, the, Paul said, the least of these when it comes to sinners. I just, I'm not, a, I'm not out sinning, but I have to really keep myself crucified. Because I'm the person that can live on the same page for 20 years. I'm that person. And I have to constantly die out to whatever it it is that I may flow in the spirit. And submit to my husband, wives. And submit to God. And submit to the flow and the process. I was praying for somebody the other day. And and, um, I had... I'm at almost the end of Genesis, and the beginning of the year, you know, start the Bible over, and this year, every year I commit to reading the Bible through, this year, hold me accountable. I'm committed to studying, studying, studying the Bible more, and camping on spots, and Something stood out to me. Every year you read it, you're going to get more revelation. You're going to get more strength every day. The unction of the Holy Ghost is going to come when you need it because what you put in will come out as you witness to people. The thing that stood out to me just a a week ago when I was praying for this person was when Hagar was cast aside, when Saria used her and cast under the tree, and the angel came to her and spoke to her. And then she said, He's the God that sees me. He's the God that sees me. And I was thinking of that scripture this morning because I was still thinking of that person and that's what I was looking up when I was thumbing through my Bible on the phone. And I was able to take that every since that every day, he's the God that sees me. And and for some reason, it's it's not He's the God that sees my grandchildren when I pray for them. It was like it, it had never been so real to me until that moment. He's the God that sees Noel. He's the God that sees Hadley right where she's at. He's the God that sees my friend Jane Doe that's struggling. He's the God, He sees that. Yes. And when you pray for your grandchildren, for your children... And your friends, he's the God that sees them under that tree when they've been cast aside and they've been used or even they themselves have been involved in sin. And he's the God that sees you. He's the God that sees what you're going to give up the month of February and get your flesh under control and what you're going to sacrifice, whatever it may be. He's the God that sees us. And so I just leave that with you right now. God bless you. Uh, I believe all life churches are doing some fasting this month. So if you feel some camaraderie in that, it helps a little. It helps a little. So be accountable to someone. I told some people what I was giving up. I expect them to ask me once in a while if I'm, if I'm cheating. God bless you.
2: Praise God. The, uh, you know, the Scripture tells us in John, I, as you know, I've sort of been stuck on our identity as the body of Christ. The Lord continues to speak to me and deal with me about that. I'm thankful. I, I believe the reason He's dealing with us about that is because He's wanting us twofold. He wants us to know who we are in Him. And he wants to manifest himself to the world. He wants to manifest himself to the world. The, you know, Bishop referenced living letters or living epistles known and read of men. The Scripture says in John, that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. We know we read further down in verse 14, the Word, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. All right, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We read later in one of Paul's letters that Christ took the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Have You ever read this? He took the handwriting of ordinances that were against us And he nailed them to his cross, blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, nailing them to his cross. And so I have the question for you, when did he take those ordinances and nail them to the cross? He was the living word. The living word was nailed to the cross. You with me? Now, we talked a few weeks ago. He said, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. He said, I am living water. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Yes? He said, I am the bread of life. He said, You are the one bread, the body. He was the word made manifest. You are meant to be living word, living letters. And he continues to write as we grow up into the fullness and the stature of Christ as the body of Christ. Amen. I, I want to share something with you briefly. Um, i probably get in trouble for using that word briefly, but that's how it seems at the moment. Matthew chapter 16, very familiar to us. As we head into this month, it is a beckoning call of God to consecration. It really, really is. Um, It's an invitation to draw nearer to Him. The Lord said, if you will draw nigh to me, then I will draw nigh to you. So, he knows when you and I take steps and actions that are to draw closer to him. He knows, and you and I know, when our actions distance ourselves from him. But he said, if you will draw near to me, then I will draw near to you. He reciprocates. There's nothing you and I can do in relationship to the Lord that he will not reciprocate in greater measure. It's a pattern of God. He, he said, if you give, he'll give to you in greater measure. He said, uh, as you show mercy, I'll show mercy to you. He said, as you forgive, I'll forgive you. It is a character of God that whatever we would do, he reciprocates in greater measure. It's the love of God in operation, the compassion of God desiring to work in us, with us, and through us, and to use us. And so he said, if we'll get, draw near to him, that's a conscious effort to move closer. If we'll draw near to him, that he will draw near to us. And so, This season of, and I I believe it is the beckoning of the Lord to more than just a season. So I would say that here at the outset. Let us, God forbid, we say we'll set aside these few weeks and then, okay, we did that on our calendar. But I believe the Lord would say, if you'll do this, I'm going to draw near to you and you'll never go back. But to the words that Bishop shared. I'd like to begin to write some new things in your life, if you'll draw near to me. It's an invitation from the Holy One. So, Matthew chapter 16, very, very familiar scripture to many, oft quoted, but the Lord has dealt with me about it in a very convicting and different way than he ever has before. Let's just start at verse 13, and we'll read a few verses here. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples a question, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that you are John the Baptist. Some, Elias, and others, Jeremias, or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? Who am I to you? He wasn't just asking, he wasn't asking the question in the manner of what do I mean to you? Like is sometimes the case when somebody says, who am I to you? He was asking them Do you really know who I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Now, we know that his understanding of that statement would be different than what much of modern day, quote, Christendom would take that and twist that verse. Simon Peter was a Jew. Simon Peter was built upon the foundation of Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and him only shalt thou serve. And so when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he was acknowledging you are the the Christ, literally means the anointed one, You are the Messiah. You are God manifested in the flesh that we knew should come, that Isaiah prophesied about, that the prophets foretold. You are he. You are the one. You are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You are the son of God, not a second person of God. You were born of God. God dwells in you. You are the man, Christ Jesus, with the fullness of God dwelling in you. He understood that when he made that statement because he was a Jew. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood or natural knowledge and understanding did not reveal this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. And I say also to you, you are Peter upon this rock, this rock of revelation. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let's just keep reading. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man. Isn't that interesting? They've just had this revelation that's been declared, came from the Lord of who he was. And he says, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Why? One of the reasons, I don't know that it's the sole reason, but one of the reasons that I believe he said that is... He did not want men to begin to worship him as a man. And they would see the man in Christ Jesus. He wanted them to know who he was by the revelation that would come. So they would glorify God, not a man. This is why oftentimes throughout the book, in the first seven chapters of the book of Mark, at least six or seven times, he would heal somebody, deliver someone, raise someone. And he'd say, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody who did it. Why? Was he not wanting God to be glorified for what he did? Of course he wanted God to be glorified. He was not wanting people to begin to elevate a man, the man Christ Jesus. He knew his purpose was to bring glory to God, even as God in the flesh. Does that make sense? And so he says, tell no man that he was the Christ. But watch, verse 21 From that time forth began Jesus to show to his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. He didn't mix any words here. And be raised again the third day. I want you to watch this turn. There has just been great revelation. If all 12 didn't know at this point, they now know. If maybe they had questions in the back of their mind and they wondered, could it be? Maybe. It sure seems like. I think the, I, They knew now. Peter gave the utterance that came from the Father to him, the revelation. He spoke it out. And now they all are aware. We're sitting in the presence of the mighty God in Christ Jesus. And he's saying, don't tell him. And then he tells them he's going to die and be killed, but he's going to rise again. So they've got all this... But watch, watch this turn, this turn from great revelation takes place. This great revelation comes, and when he says what's going to happen, Peter takes him and begins to rebuke him and says, Be it far from you, Lord. This shall not be unto you. But he turned, Jesus it is, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Those are some strong words. You are an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. Then said Jesus to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's an interesting place in the word of God. To see such revelation and to see rebuke so quickly thereafter from the same one who had seen great revelation. But I hear in here a caution from the Lord. Perhaps more than a caution to some of us. But a correction and a warning from the Lord in this moment. Jesus makes this statement to Peter. He uses the words, get behind me, Satan. Of course, he was addressing the spirit that was being yielded to in Peter's utterance. He wasn't telling Peter he had a devil, but Peter in this moment had gave room to his flesh, which gave room to the adversary to speak. Does that makes sense? And so Peter says, far be it from you, Lord. This thing will not be. And the Lord says... A rebuke, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. A few moments ago, Peter, you were blessed. You were blessed because you received revelation. Don't think for a minute just because the blessing of the Lord comes and revelation comes that it doesn't take about a few seconds to step back into the flesh and give room to the flesh and go from being blessed to being an offense. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long if I don't continually, to Sister Schoonover's point, deny myself, deny myself, deny myself. But but here's how this spoke to me like never before. The Lord said, you're an offense to me. In other words, Peter, your words are offending me. I think we know what an offense is. But then he said why his words offended him. Peter, the reason you're offending me is because it seems from your words they reveal something about you, Peter. Your words reveal to me that you savor the things of men more than you savor the things of God. He wasn't saying, Peter, you don't savor the things of God. The issue, Peter, is that you savor the things of men more than the things of God. It's, I referenced it in the first service. It, it, there's so much scripture that's flooding my spirit. Paul warned, I believe it was this Timothy, he said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. They're going to come. And how did he describe a time that is perilous? We might think, oh, perilous, that means this, this, this. But this is how Paul told Timothy, this is how you identify a time that is perilous, Timothy. Timothy, there will be men that will be lovers of themselves. This is an identifier to you that time is perilous, Timothy. Men love themselves. They they have fallen in love with themselves. I, I gotta be careful here. It's a good thing we're going on this social media fast. You can't go look and check up on nobody. But I, I'm grieved when I, I don't have Instagram anymore. I sort of I, I was done with it. And so, but when I would go and I would see someone and their whole profile is self-pictures. Or 80% of their pictures. You can look at you can look at hundred pictures, and 80 of them are pictures of self. Uh, that's revealing something. When I was a kid, selfie wasn't a word. That doesn't mean we didn't indulge self, but I'm just telling you, selfie wasn't a word when I was a kid. It's an indicator of the time. It's, it's an indicator that times are perilous. We should be aware of this. We, we go, well, I'm watching for this. I'm watching. You want an indicator that it's perilous times? Men love self wrapped up in self, self, self. But watch the next statement that he said is an indicator of perilous times. Men are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I've read that verse so many times. I've probably quoted it many times. But here's the trap and the deception. For those who were in the first service, you're getting it twice. I'm, sorry. Here, I'm not sorry. But maybe at least this part. He did not say they were not lovers of God. See, we categorize, oh, they're lovers of pleasure, not lovers. He did not say that. He said they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I have a question for you. Don't raise your hand. Just process it in your spirit. What do you love more, being pleased or God? And your life and my life bears it out. Paul said, this is an indicator of how perilous times are. Men who, I'm going to rephrase it without changing the context, okay? Men who love God, love pleasure more. Men who have a relationship with God are more interested in pleasure than that relationship. He didn't say they don't care about the relationship. Didn't say they didn't go to church on Sunday. Didn't say they didn't read their Bible. But they just love pleasure more than they love God. This became an indicator. Paul was writing to Timothy. He was warning him as a young man. I think it was Timothy. If it's not, go look. He was writing to the church. He was warning him, hey, this is going to indicate to you that it's getting perilous. This is going to indicate to you the downturn that's taking place. You better be aware when men, they'll still love God. They won't disown God. They won't, but what will happen is they'll pursue pleasures more and more and more. Yeah. Jesus said, Peter, you offend me. And the reason you offend me isn't because you don't love me. The reason you offend me isn't because you don't have revelation. Peter, the reason you offend me is because you place more value. You savor the things of men more than you savor the things of God. And Peter, that offends me. Now watch. Let's go back to the verses we read before. Not in the Bible, but just together. Let's go back. Who do you say I am? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Oh, you're blessed, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You have the revelation of who I am. You know that I am the mighty God in Christ Jesus. You know who I am because my Father revealed it to you. You have divine revelation that you can walk in and live in. But now I'm offended with you, Peter. Because even with divine revelation, you still savor the things of men. What an indictment to a believer who has the revelation of who he is. That we would know who he is, recognize the oneness and the authority of God that he would grace us by his word and his spirit with truth and revelation and then I would still savor things of men more than things of God. That was why it was so offensive. It wasn't just anybody he was talking to. He was talking to someone that had the revelation of who he was. And he expected that the revelation of who he was would cause them to savor the things of God above everything else. It had moved from head knowledge to revelatory understanding. And now that you have revelatory understanding, it should be a motivator for what you savor. But even with revelatory understanding, you still savor the things of men, Peter. And that's offensive to me. And so the beckoning of the Lord reaches to us. He reaches to us. Stand with me this morning, please. He reaches to us not in condemnation. He reaches to us in conviction and compassion desiring to manifest himself to the world. He wants to manifest himself to the world. Bishop said it living letters. Notice that that place that bishop quote living letters If you keep reading, it says known and read of all men. It doesn't say living letters known and read of the church. Living letters known and read of friends and family. Living letters known and read of all men. And so when you go to work, somebody's reading. When you go to the mall, somebody's reading. When you go to the store, somebody's reading. When you stop at the gas station, somebody's reading. When you get in an Uber, somebody's reading. When you're you're with your family around a dinner table, somebody's reading. They're always reading. All men are reading. All men are reading. And if I savor the things of men more than the things of God, then that's what they're reading. That's what they're reading. They read what I savor. That's what they're reading. I I think of the words of Jesus. It's in several gospels, but I'm drawn to Luke. When he talked about the word of God being sown seed, and he used the parable, right? Some on good ground, some on stony ground, some on thorny grounds, uh, or some by the wayside, stony ground, thorny ground, and good ground. And he referenced the thorny ground and he said it was the cares of life it was the deceitfulness of riches those things earthly things it was the care for earthly things what did it do was it was the care for earthly things sin See, that's where we get in trouble. We go, well, is it sin or not? Now the question is, does it impact my effectiveness in the kingdom? Does it please him or not? And so what happens, Jesus told his disciples, is these cares of life, these thorns, the cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches, and other things creeping in, I think is how Luke's gospel says it. Those things... They have an interesting impact. The Bible says they choke out. What do they choke out? They choke out the Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of the Lord. But the cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches and other things entering in, chokes out. You wonder why you struggle with having faith for situations? It could be the thorns of life are choking out the word. What I savor, what I pursue, what I desire. And so the Lord is inviting us. I'm certain. He's inviting the church. It's the admonishment of Paul to the church. It wasn't a rebuke. It was an invitation. It It was correction, but it was an invitation. He said, Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Notice, I'm glad you put that up there. Notice that other thing pleasures of this life. Now, here's the great deception there it doesn't say they don't bring forth fruit. You can receive the word, and you can begin to produce some fruit. Oh, how deceptive that can be. Because you receive the word, you bring forth fruit. And the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, they choke the word. So you have fruit, but it's not to perfection. Or it's not to completion. Some of you have told the story. You ever got a sour persimmon? It's not, I probably should have picked a different veg, or fruit around here, I guess. You know, if you go pull an apple off of the tree in late July, it's an apple. Yes? Whatever's there is an apple. You can pull it off and you can buy it. It's not going to taste very good. Might be a little sour, a little bitter. You might be like, ah, why would anybody eat this? Well, the problem is it's fruit, but it's not fruit to perfection yet. This is the example that the Lord Jesus is using that he says the cares of life and riches and pleasures of this life, they choke out the word. You have fruit. And so what happens? The adversary says, ah, you know what? You're fine. You're fine. Look, you got some fruit. But is it to perfection? How do you know when fruit is to perfection? It feeds people. It feeds people. It's ministry to others. It begins to flow and there's an effect. It's ministry. And so the Lord in his beckoning to us in these last few weeks of February, I believe it's a calling, a calling to say, let's deal with these things that would choke out the word. Let's deal with these things that we fill our mind, our time. I can't remember the exact words at the moment Sister Schoonover used, but mind space, I think, was maybe the word she used. Head space, head space. These things that fill our head space, and that, that's what they do. You say, are you telling me something's wrong with Pinterest? Probably so, but just in case. Let's say it's not. And But it just fills your head space. I'm not preaching against Pinterest. I'm not picking on my wife, but she can tell me stuff about different things. But man, I can mention something, and she's got—they I don't know—they if they call them cards or books or pages or something. Books, boards. There you go. Boards. Boards on stuff, and boards on stuff. Not, nothing. I'm not saying something's wrong with that. You understand? It's headspace. To Sister Glover's point. And so the Lord is see we get caught in is it right or is it wrong? That's not the question to ask. The question is, is it pleasing to Him? Is it pleasures of life or pleasing to God? Is it allowing me to walk in my calling or is it detracting me from my calling? Is it allowing me to fulfill my purpose as the body of Christ or is it hindering me functioning fully as the body? It's the appeal of the Lord. I'm telling you, I feel it so clear in my spirit. It's the appeal of the Lord saying, come to me. Draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. Draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. The spirit of the Lord is wanting to manifest himself to the world. Creation is waiting with earnest expectation for the manifestation of the sons of God. And so the Lord is saying, come near. Come near to me. If you come near, I'll come near to you. What do you savor? What brings you pleasure? Are you pleased with the things of God or the things of this life? Come on, would you talk to him right now? Would you reach to the Lord? Would you commune with him? would you commit afresh from your heart and soul would you let the light of the word shine upon my heart God shine into my life by your word and by your spirit any element of my thinking or my living that is an offense unto you I pray let your compassion and your conviction lead me to a place of repentance let goodness of God lead me to repentance let my thinking be corrected by your word and by your spirit that I walk pleasing unto you that you would be glorified that what men and women read they read of your writing let your writing not be hidden amongst my own doing but I pray write Lord and let men see the words you write upon our hearts and our lives in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I'm opening this altar to you this morning. When would you find a place between you and the Lord? Allow him to shine the light of the word in our hearts. God, I want you to examine every corner of my heart by your word. I want you to examine. I want to be pleasing to you. And I know you're inviting me. I feel the invitation, Lord. I feel the gentle but certain draw of your spirit that's clear. Oh, let my life please you. Show me where I savor things that are not of you. I want to be a blessing to you. Oh, God, I don't want to walk in offense to you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, as we head into the season of consecration afresh, Lord, guide us by your word as we set aside this time, as we begin to clear elements, Lord, from our day and our calendar. Draw us near to you, Lord. Reveal yourself in greater measure. Oh, God, heal us of our iniquity Make us afresh and anew in your image. Oh God, write afresh upon the tables of our heart, I pray. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that we would be what you have called us to be, that we would walk as these living letters that have been spoken to us of, that your word would minister to many through your body. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Come on, let His Spirit and His Word lead you. Let His Spirit and His Word work in you. Come on, you're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. You have the mighty revelation of who He is. Oh, it's us who should walk in power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost.